Acts chapter 1. Can we turn there, please? I want to speak a little bit this morning about lessons from the early church that we can learn. Lessons from the early church. I don't know what everybody's opinion is, and it's really not in, really that important, uh, maybe more important to some than others, but I, I personally lean toward thinking that Jesus was the first pastor of the first church. He's the one who mentions it first in, in the book of Matthew. I think the disciples were probably the first called out assembly, and that's what a church is. A church is not a building, it's not a denomination, it's a called out assembly. And they were called by Jesus, and he ordained that they would be with him. And they spent three and a half years together. At the conclusion of his ministry, the Lord Jesus stood on Mount Olivet. And um, he had 120 of his disciples or followers that were with him. And he ascended out of their sight. And uh, he had already came. He had lived an innocent life. He had died a cruel death. He had spent three days in the grave and now resurrected uh, 40 days he had been seen by his church, if you will, by his disciples for 40 days. Now they were 10 days away from Pentecost. Passover and Pentecost are about 50 days apart. And uh, he is standing on Mount Olivet and he gives them their parting words. They ask him, when, was the, when are you going to free and rule over Israel and let them become their own people and not be under Roman, he said, look, that's not important. What's important is that you're going to receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you'll be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth. And as he gave them that last command and that last great commission, the Lord said that he, he left, and he went away, and they stood and watched, and then two men stood by them. Most likely messengers, angels of the Lord. They stood there and said, Ye men of Galilee, why stand you gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus that went up from you is going to come back again. But in the meantime, he's got something for you to do. And that's why we're meeting today on July 4th, 2021, right here at First Baptist Church of Hammond. That's why any blood-bought church of Christ is still meeting and, and continuing on for the Lord. Because of what Jesus did that day, he ascended and he told them, I'm going to go away, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you, and you're going to do greater works than I did. Jesus lived 33 years. How many of you are older than 33 years old? You have more time than Jesus had on this earth. He stayed in a property, in a location that probably was no more than 100 miles um, in a circle and less than that. How many have traveled outside of northwest Indiana and, and Illinois in your lifetime? How many have done that? Yeah. We have opportunities to do things. Jesus was in one location. The Holy Spirit is inside of us, and wherever you go, if you're saved, he's with you. And you have opportunities to do wonderful things for the Lord, and that's what God called us to do. But it's unique that this is the early stages. So these 120 people were told by the two angels of the Lord to go into Jerusalem and tarry there until you be endued with power, until God tells you what to do. Now, they went to a place that we just know as the upper room. They went to a place in, uh, in Jerusalem. And once again, Jerusalem... They would have three feasts in the spring and three feasts in the fall. 
And people would try to make a pilgrimage back to there, and especially at those two times of the year. So Jerusalem was used to having a place, and I had been in the Middle East several times, to Jordan and, and to Egypt and to Israel. And uh, I, I thought about this. They had, a, they had to get 120 people in some room where they would stay for 10 days. They would stay there for 10 days, and, and the Bible's going to tell us a little bit about that, that early church. Their pastor had just gone to heaven. Now they have 11 men who are still followers of Jesus Christ. Judas had left them, and he had betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. He had gone out, and he had hung himself. And Luke, Dr. Luke, in somewhat gruesome terms, quotes Peter and says that he fell down and headlong and burst, his, his bowels burst in, in the fall after he had been cut down or whenever he, we came down, his stomach opened up and his bowels and blood. And then, of course, they took the, the 30 pieces of silver and bought uh, this place called a Seldoma and the field of blood. And there's a little bit of things that happen. There's three things I want us to notice today, the things we can learn from a church. Of course, Jesus, he's the foundation of the church. The resurrection of Jesus Christ in the book of Acts is a very unique book. It's a little bit of a, a hinge in our New Testament. And uh, we have in the Old Testament, we have the five books of the law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And then you have the history of the Jewish nation, beginning with Joshua and going all the way through to Esther. And then you have the Songs and Proverbs, and then you have it ending out in the major and minor prophets. In the New Testament, you have the four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, are about Jesus. They are like four men standing on a street corner and looking at the same intersection, and Jesus is in the middle. Mark is saying he's the king. Excuse me, Matthew's saying he's the king. Mark, he's the servant. Luke, he's man, Jesus. John, he's God. And instead of giving the history of the Jewish nation, he gives the history of the early church. The book of Acts is very transitional. It's not a good book to get your theology out of necessarily on, on uh, early church. As a matter of fact, a lot of false doctrine has come out of taking theology out of the book of Acts. It's a transitional book. Our church theology comes from the pastoral epistles of 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians and Romans and Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians. Those are our pastoral, or excuse me, our church epistles. That's where the theology comes in the practice. But Acts is a storybook, a narrative just inspired as any other book of the Bible, but it's transitional. And uh, it is given to us as, as it's also very action-packed. In the book of Acts, you'll find that Jesus goes up. The Holy Spirit comes down. The people who are filled with the Holy Spirit go out. And lost people all around the world come in to Jesus. It's a great book, but you'll find stonings there. People are beheaded there. People are chased out of cities. People are let down out of baskets outside of a wall. All kinds of things happen. There are shipwrecks and, and near-death experience and snake bites and, and 
and jail time and arrest and beatings. It's very action-packed. You won't find a, a flick as much action as the book of Acts. You know, Brad Pitt and whoever else it could be, they can't compete with, with what happens in the book of Acts. It's unbelievable. But it's very transitional. But it gives us the early days of a local church, the first church that after Jesus went back to heaven that met there. There are several things I think we can learn about that as we begin our month of study about uh, being committed to the house of God. Now, I always tell you, friends, you know this, I know this, Many people have no time for the local church. You hear it all the time. People are getting upset with the church, getting upset with the things of God. Listen, I will tell you this. The church is the bride of Christ. I have a bride. Her name is Linda. And when someone gives Linda a hard time, that really aggravates me. And when someone gives the church a hard time, that aggravates Jesus. You might even heard Paul or Saul when he was on the road to Damascus. He heard the words of Jesus, but he didn't know who he was. He said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he's blinded with everyone else, and he's on his face, on, his, on the ground. He's, he's, he's kneeling. He's like, well, who are you? Because he had hurt a lot of people. But all of them he had hurt because they were Christians. They were in this body of believers. They were, they were the people that we're going to learn about this morning, these 120. They were part of the people that he was hurting. But he wasn't talking to a group of people. He was talking to one person. He said, well, who are you? He said, I'm Jesus whom thou persecutest. I think it's a very scary thing to rise up against the house of God, the church of God, to complicate it. I think Jesus takes it personal. Now, these people were not perfect. You can read their names. He gives all 11 apostles there. And if you want to read the book of the Gospels, you can find that they're not perfect leaders. They may not even have been perfect in this decision that they made in, in chapter 1. The leaders weren't perfect. The individuals weren't perfect. Mary, the mother of Jesus, is mentioned. And then there's a hundred and, I don't know, there's only 12 people mentioned by name of this 120. So there are uh, 108 people that we don't know their name. It might have been Nicodemus. It might have been Joseph of Arimathea. It might have been Mary and Lazarus and Martha, the friends there at Bethany. It might have been their families. Could have been Peter's mother-in-law was there with them. Could have been his wife and kids. All of them, we don't know who they were, but whoever they were, they were gathered together. And Saul was persecuting him. He said, Lord, who are you? Who are you? And he said, I'm Jesus. Whom thou, he wasn't hurting Jesus personally because Jesus was at the right hand of the Father in heaven. He was hurting his people. He was hurting his church, his called out assembly. And the Lord Jesus took it very personal. By the way, we always got to be careful about that. I, always, I oftentimes tell people there are three things that make you stable in the Christian life. Number one, God gave you his word, the Bible. That's uh, a stable Christian is going to have a real relationship with the scriptures. I, I hope you love your Bible. hope you read your Bible. hope you think about it. hope you'll meditate on the scriptures. I hope when you make a decision, you ought to ask yourself, is there anything in the Bible that tells me what I should do here? Because stable Christians are committed to the Bible. Stable Christians and growing Christians, productive Christians, are influenced by the Holy Spirit of God. 
The Spirit of God is in them, and they're responsive. And if he says give, they give. If he says hand out a track, they hand out a track. If he provokes them to apologize, they apologize. If he shows them a sin, they confess it. They're responsive to the Holy Spirit of God. And then great Christians are committed to the house of God. They're committed to their local church. We've lost the art of loyalty, of love and devotion. We just kind of pick and choose, and we're fair weather. If, if we like it, they like us, and we stay with them. If not, we do, we do what we want to do. We want to vote with our feet. We'll move. But I think it's important that the local church be a vital part of the Christian life. And you're, I'm preaching to the choir here. You're all here this morning. But I pray that every one of us would decide, Lord, with your help, I want to make much. If you think a lot of the church, I think about Apostle Paul as he stood on the, on the beach of Miletus. And he sent for someone to go get the pastors of the church of Ephesus to come out and see him. He says to the pastors, take heed to yourselves and to the doctrine and to the flock over which the Holy Ghost has made you overseer. A pastor is appointed not by a church, but by the Holy Spirit. He said, the Holy Spirit puts you in charge of a church then take heed to yourself. That's one of the things a pastor is supposed to do. A leader is a spiritual are supposed to do. They're supposed to take care of their own walk with God, their own personal purity, their own family role. That's your job and my job. If you, don't, if you don't walk with God, no one else can walk with God for you. If you don't stay pure, no one else can be pure. You can't take a day off and say, tomorrow I'm going to let someone else be pure for me. No, that's your job. And you can't, no one else can play your family role like you can. I say, well, my parents have five kids. No one can be the child that your parents need and the blessing like you can. You're the man who's supposed to be the wife or the husband of your wife, and you're the wife to be a wife to your husband. Your role is yours to play. If you don't do a good job, if I don't do a good job, no one else is made to mop up my mess. It's my job to do that. But to do that effectively, I must have a relationship with the Word of God, the Spirit of God, and the Church of God. Well, this is an early church. This is, this is the emphasy. This is, this is brand new. This is raw. This is on the one page of our Bible in Acts chapter 1, where, where God tells us a little bit about that early church. And I want to learn some lessons today I think can be helpful to us in the few moments we're together. Look at verse number 13. And when they were come up in, they went up into an upper room. They secured this upper room. They would stay there for 10 days. He tells us the name of the apostles minus uh, Judas. And of course, there were fishermen there. James, John, and Peter were there. Andrew was a fisherman. Philip, he was from Bethsaida. Thomas was a negative guy, somewhat negative. He would, he did, you know, everything, something happened. I can't believe this. That was him. He was a guy whose glass was always half empty, not half full. There was a zealot there, Simon the zealot, not to be confused with, with Simon Peter, who was a political activist. He was, he was, he's caught up in, in, uh, in, in anarchy against the Roman government, possibly. That was how he was known. Of course, there was a tax collector working for the IRS, uh, uh, Matthew. There was a, it was a very diverse group. And then the Bible says it was Mary, the mother of Jesus, was there. It's the last time you'll see her on the pages of your Bible. But she was there at that gathering. 
and his brothers and sisters, James, who wrote the book of James, most likely, and he had another brother named Judas that was one of his, one, one of his brothers, and they were there at this gathering, and 108 other people that we don't even know their names are gathered here at this place. And I want you to notice a couple things. First of all, I think we can learn lessons by the, from the servants that were gathered. You know, a church is a place where people serve. Yes, we learn, we, lit, we sit, we listen, but it's a place where there ought to be service. What we can learn about these servants here? This group of 120 that were sitting there in this upper room, they secured upper room, it looks like, except for maybe getting food and bathroom privileges, they stayed right there. They stayed right there. And, and I, I think a couple of things that stand out to me, first of all, um, they were present. They showed up. There's two things that help the work of God, your presence and your participation. <laughs> we're going to have church whether you came or not, but because you came, it's better. Your presence here, some of us who watch online, that's wonderful, but if you can be in church, you ought to be in church. Something about being in the house of God, something about coming, you cannot, and one of the reasons we come together is to exhort one another. It's hard to exhort when you're on the other side of a, a television screen. It's better for you to be in person, if at all possible. But these people were present. Number two, they were patient. Ten days. They didn't know exactly when it was going to happen, but they stayed there. Ten days is the length of time that usually if someone gets a, a bug, it takes them about ten days to get over it. If you don't get a quick antibiotic or something, that's a general time. If you get a cold, about ten days it takes you to get over it if you don't do much uh, treatment to it. But I tell you what, 10 days, is that's a week and a half almost. It's a long time. A long time to stay planted, to stay one person. I'm sure there was a lots of things going on. But they were a people who were patient. I find that they were prayerful. We'll talk about that in a moment. Prayer was certainly being made. They were praying. They prayed over who to pick as the next uh, person to take uh, Judas's place. They were, they were continued in all in one accord praying. They spent a lot of time in prayer. Now, some folks have a hard time with corporate prayer. Some folks, they say, well, if I want to pray, I'll pray by myself. Why do you have this prayer time? What's that's not important to you? But I think it was important in the early church. I think it was important. Jesus even provoking his disciples in the hour of his crucifixion, watch and pray. They learned some things, what to do while Jesus wasn't there and while he was told to wait and to be patient. They said they, they learned to pray. I like that about them. I like the fact that they were, uh, they were present and uh, they were patient and they were prayerful. But also they were persistent. They just continued. They continued. Boy, I thank God for people who continue. I look across the audience today and I see people who've been saved just a few days and they're here. I see people who've been saved for 40 years, and they're here. People that got saved when Brother Hiles was their pastor. People got saved when Brother Scott was their pastor. People that got saved when Brother Owen Miller was their pastor back before 1959, and they're still here. Faithfully serving the Lord and continuing. I, I appreciate this group. I admire them. But I will say this too. This, a lesson we can learn from this is that every member matters. Everybody has significance. What can we learn from the early church? Even though their name is not written in the Bible, there's only 12 of them, 
So 108 are not mentioned there. Every member has a purpose. You need to know that. You say, well, I'm 11 years old. You're important. Well, I'm a single mom. You're important. Well, I can't drive a bus anymore. My eyesight's not good. You're important. Everybody's important. Everybody has a significant role in the church. And don't kid yourself and don't think, you know what, that's not me. Well, I've messed up my life. I've made some bad choices. You are still able to be used of God. Everybody matters. Well, I, I, I sleep in the rescue mission. You matter. I've come to stay in the Better Roads Recovery Home. You matter. I've never driven a car in my life. Every time I come to church, I come on a bus. You matter. Everybody matters in the house of God. And I think this is something we can take away. We can learn from the early church. Hey, everybody matters. I think you also can see that, that not only is everybody significant and no one is insignificant, but also no one's indispensable. In the life of every church, someone falls away or goes away. In this case, Judas. Judas was significant. He was one of the 12, and now he's gone. This is unfortunate, but if the early church, Jesus' church, had people that leave, guess what happens at First Baptist Church? And any church, occasionally significant people are going to fall. Significant people are going to go away. This is nothing new. And some people go away because they fall away because of sin. Some people go away because God moves them to different places. If you look in the book of Acts in chapter 13, there were five great men who oversaw that church there at Antioch. And all the people were significant, and God took two of them, Barnabas and Saul, and said, you know, the Holy Spirit wants to take these guys out. You know what that church had to do? They had to live with it. <laughs> they didn't have a say. It was the Holy Spirit already said, look, you're going you're to lose two of your... But they said, well, we love hearing Saul preach. Man, that guy was trained at the feet of Gamaliel. He's a fireball. And Barnabas, what a son of consolation. He is an encourager. You're taking the best theologian we have, and you're taking the best encouraging person we have, and you're asking him to leave. And yes, that's exactly what happens. One thing that would be a good idea in all of our lives, we understand the church of God is fluid. There are people here this morning in five years, if you're still sitting here listening to this service in these pews, you're going to be out of the will of God. I hope none of us will fall away because of sin. But some of us, the Spirit of God will move away for success. See, God oversees all the flocks of the world. He sees every church in every location. We're blessed here. I, we have, we have a, a, a legacy of faithfulness of God's people. We have leadership. We have the Lord Jesus Christ. We get to see souls saved and, and souls get baptized. In a few moments, I'll look into the eyes of new believers that are taking the discipleship lesson, and we'll learn about eternal security, and you'll go to Sunday school classes. We'll enjoy fellowship. We'll enjoy the Word of God. We'll enjoy the things of God. Not every place in the world has that. There's a lot of places that need someone to lead and feed them. There are places not only in America but all over the world and God is going to use any church that's submitted to him. Occasionally, there's going to be some fluid changes because no one is indispensable. Your pastor is not. 
I'll not be the pastor here forever. I'm grateful to be your pastor. I'm grateful to associate with this wonderful group of people, but I'm, I'm, indispens- I'm, I'm, I'm dispensable. I can, I, if, I, if I fell out of this church or I could not be your pastor, somebody else would step up and God would use them. And there are different people that move. And I want you to notice here, an example here, a lesson from the early church is that every member is significant and every member is dispensable. And they're replaceable. If you can't do the job God wants you to do, then somebody else is supposed to. By the way, all of us ought to think about this. What does God want me to do in the house of God? Don't get to a place where you're just comfortable just attending. Be participating. Don't just be satisfied to be present. Be participating. Grow in grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Some of you, you could teach classes. Some of you could drive a bus. Some of you could captain a bus. I think my, I love Linda. And years ago when I became a pastor, I was 32 years old in Long Beach, California. And we, were, we had children. We had, uh, Drew was just born. And in, in, uh, when, we, when we became the pastor, I became the pastor in June. He was born in November. And Linda came to me. She said, John, you're so busy. You're, you're leading this church and you're learning how to be a pastor. But we got little guys, Tyler and, and, and uh, Derek and Preston and Lydia. And Drew is so little now, but... We need to do something because you can't take time to go visiting with us everywhere you go. I got to find something so we can serve God together. And she took a bus route. And for 13 years, she, passed, she pastored those people as a bus captain. And every week, she'd bring 30, 40, 50, 60 people. And the kids got to go with her on visitation and they got to see a bus route uh, built. You know, I think all of us, and I thank God for that testimony. And everybody is supposed to do that, but there's some of you that you need to do that. You know why? Because there's some bus captains that did it for 30 years, and they can't do it anymore. Think of Brother Litherland. Bless his heart for many years, so faithful as a bus worker here. But that's not a reality today for his life. Who's next man up? Who's going to step up? And here they had two people that the church qualified. One, his name is Justice or a surname. The other's name is Matthias. And there were two men to fill a spot. But would to God that if there's someone had to step down from the choir, there'd be two people that would step up and say, this is something we can do. If a bus captain can no longer do that, someone else, if a Sunday school teacher is not able to do it, someone ought to step up and say, Lord, is this what you want me to do? Is this something that needs to happen? It's the Lord's church. But I find, number one, we find that we can learn something. that Every member is important. And every, every member has significance. And no one of us are irreplaceable. We all can be replaced. We all can be done. And somebody needs to step up and do that. In closing this morning, I'd like to tell you two other things. And that is the staples of the early church. We see in this passage as they prayed. They referenced the scriptures. Peter stood up and he said, here, guys, Psalms 69, verse 25, says that this would happen that Judas would struggle, and that somebody else would need to step up. So let's take this and let's move with it. And then they said they did it. And if I want you to look at verse number 22, would you please? There were three staples, prayer, the word of God. And then you see in verse 22, beginning from the baptism of John is the same day he was taken up from us. Must one be ordained? I want you to read the rest of the verse with me. To be a with us of his resurrection. I see soul winning is a vital part. 
Everybody ought to be a soul winner. Every, minister, every member ought to be a minister. Every saint ought to be a soul winner. You say, Pastor, do you think I ought to keep gospel tracts? I think you ought to keep gospel tracts. Do you think you ought to keep a New Testament? Yes, I think you ought to keep a New Testament. You ought to ask people this question. I heard that this week and reminded, has anyone ever showed you the verses in the Bible that tell you how you can know for sure when life is over you go to heaven? Why don't you ask that question? I think it's okay to ask someone, do you know for sure if you died you go to heaven? But you might want to say, has anyone ever showed you in the Bible the verses that tell you how you can know for sure? I wonder if all of us asked that question to one person this week, if there'll be more people saved next week. Take a Bible and do that. He said, we need to replace this person, not only out of prayer and, and from the word of God, but also so that they can be a witness with us. They can lead in this area of soul winning. You know, the local church, there's three concepts that are important. And the structure is made like this, the lordship of Jesus, leadership, and partnership. Lordship, leadership, partnership. Would you all say that with me? Lordship, leadership. One more time. The local church is healthy whenever we're under the lordship of Jesus. The, the, the local church is healthy whenever, whenever there are leaders who step up, who are spirit-filled, who lead, and there are people who partner with them in that ministry. One more time. Lordship. I love the local church. I love you. I'm glad we can serve God together. I'm glad that we can be partners in ministry. One of the things I love about the local church is everyone who gets saved, gets saved because the local church is the pillar and ground of truth. The truth is, a hundred years from today, all that's going to matter for everybody in here is where you live. In heaven with God or in hell without him. I'm glad I was in a local church when someone preached the Bible to me and showed me from the Bible how I could know for sure when life is over to go to heaven. Do you know that? If you don't know that, please don't leave this morning until you figure that out. We want to help you with that.